I find there's any time not spent creating high quality content is not time well spent. But over the long run, it's all about just valuable content. You know, if you provide value to people, they're going to want it and they're going to subscribe and follow and pay. Today's interview is with Lenny Rachitsky. So Lenny's company was acquired by Airbnb more than seven years ago. And he spent a bunch of time at Airbnb as a product manager working on growth, where he became fascinated with things like how do you manage a team? How do you grow a company? What are the product management best practices? All of these things. After leaving Airbnb, he started a newsletter just called Lenny's Newsletter. And it now has over 3,200 paying subscribers. Uh, he's now earning more from his newsletter than he was at his tech job, quite a bit more actually. And we get into so many things, but how to keep writing newsletter really fun, how to grow and scale your audience, using guest posts to get those first subscribers. So much good stuff. Let's dive in. Lenny, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So you actually kicked off our call in kind of a fun spot. And so I want to start the interview there. And that was, uh, you just said, so did you read the New Yorker article? You know, and uh, the New Yorker just did another article about newsletters. Um, why don't you give us uh, the high level? Because it kind of takes us into the state of newsletters um you know on the web right now oh so i i find i generally try to avoid pontificating on the state of media and newsletters because i feel like that's not my depth there's a lot of newsletter writers that like come from media that have thought about you know this whole space of newslettering for a long time and it's fun to think about and talk about and and tweet about sometimes but i find i don't have the most thorough opinions of, of the whole industry but what I find is when people do this kind of like overview of what's happening in newsletters, it's always this interesting combination of like, oh, here's all the good elements. People can write whatever they want and they have freedom. They're running their own business and uh, creating their own kind of life. And then there's like, oh, but all these dangers, uh, what are they, what's gonna happen when they need health insurance? And how do we moderate all these folks and who's gonna win? And how do you, how do you not create this just like 1% that does well? And so, so the post is kind of essentially going through a bunch of stories of all those things happening. And I think the conclusion as always is it's complicated and there's good and bad and uh, we'll see where it all goes. Yeah. It's been fascinating to watch how the landscape has changed over the last, you know, seven or eight years since I've been working on this space, but you know, particularly the last uh, say 18 months as Substack has gained a ton of traction. I think a lot of people, this is kind of what I want to talk about next. Um, who maybe in the past would look at newsletters and go, that's an interesting business. Like that's a, a thing. Maybe that's your lifestyle business. I don't know. I'm going to go do a startup, you know, um, that was a lot of the mindset. And, and, now and that's, that's exactly what I did. That was my whole plan is start a company. And then I started this newsletter on the side just to like play around with something and magically it turned around and the newsletter became the main thing that I do. Yeah. So let's talk about that more. Cause you spent what, seven, eight years at Airbnb, you know, working on, on growth and product management. Um, and so I'd love to hear, um, well, let's see, let, let's talk about just the transition out of Airbnb and then what was next. Yeah. So, so I left Airbnb about a year and a half ago, last March, uh, I was there for seven years, sold my company to them. And my plan a, when I left, first of all, I had no real plan. I was just like, I need to, I need to do something different. I need to move on to something new. And so plan a was, uh, likely start a company again. Plan B was 
maybe do some advising and consulting. Plan C was maybe join a startup. Plan D was maybe join a big company. And nowhere on those list of plans that I have, make a living off writing a newsletter. But what started happening is I first started collecting my thoughts of what I learned at Airbnb and things they've done in the past, just so that I don't have to relearn them when I start a company. So I put out a Medium post and that did shockingly well. And then I put out a few more Medium posts and those did well. And then somebody suggested I switch to Substack to, you know, to the classic reasons to have your own newsletter, to own your audience, to not give all the benefits of Medium and those kinds of things, which we can talk about. And that just kept going well. And it was always a side project that everyone around me was like, okay, stop this writing thing you're doing. And if you really want to do a startup, you should really focus on that. <laughs> and you're spending so much time writing. What are you doing? Uh, but I just kept doing it because it was interesting and fun and people seemed to value it. And I had a good, conversation with a friend maybe six months into it and his advice was okay this seems to be working well people seem to value it you seem to enjoy it maybe just try that for a little while longer and don't put all this pressure on yourself to start a company now and so i did that and it just kept growing and eventually uh this year actually around covid beginnings of covid uh it was like a year since i left my job i had no income i didn't know what i was going to do all all my stock is down. I didn't know how I was going to make money again. And so I decided, let me try this paid version of the newsletter. And, and that kind of took things to the next level. Now we're here where I'm making a lot more than I made at Airbnb. And I don't have any future plans beyond this. Yeah. So did you uh, figure out what the startup was going to be? Or was it still you were playing around with ideas and the newsletter was a playground to, to try out or to like think through some of the things you were considering? The newsletter was more of a playground of collecting things that I've learned that I wanted to crystallize. You know, as they say, I don't know what I think until I've written it down. And I was, it was an excuse to crystallize things that I've learned over the past. Uh, but in terms of the startup, I had, I had a spreadsheet of 50 ideas that I was working through one by one, prototyping them, asking friends, trying to research them. So was, was just, I went through like 10 of them by the time I stopped and... Uh, none of them, none of them really stuck. That was part of it is I didn't find anything that was, oh shit, I really need to stop everything and do this thing. Uh, if I, maybe if I had, it, it would have been something different, but I, startups are hard. I don't, it's like a hard life to pursue. And so I'm happy not to do that right now. They are, they're very hard. And especially that, I don't know, those first two years or three years, you know, before it gets a team and momentum, it, it just, it's really hard. So, um, so I, that initial traction, that point where you're like, hey, this is working. What were those signs that you looked for? How, was it a number of subscribers or was it just momentum, a rate of growth? What was it? I'd say early on, it was very qualitative. I just kept getting these really nice messages from people about how valuable some of the stuff I'd written had been. So it was that plus continued growth. People just continued to subscribe and come back and not unsubscribe. That was a good sign. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess it was those two things, uh, qualitative feedback and just growth continued to happen even when I wasn't doing anything. And also the, the feedback was coming from really smart, successful people that I really respected. So that added to it. So those things. I think what's interesting about that is that it has you focusing on the quality of the content rather than the results from the oh, quality man. of the content. Absolutely. That's what I find over and over again. Anything that I do that's not just create high quality content does very little for the success of the newsletter. 
I find there's any time not spent creating high quality content is not time well spent. And I just keep finding it over and over. I tried like Twitter ads. I tried a referral program. I tried uh, uh, cross promotion across newsletters and none of that really did anything. Although initially there were some things that, that I did that were really impactful to help jumpstart it, which we could talk about, but, but over the long run, it's all about just valuable content. You know, it's like, if you provide value to people, they're going to want it and they're going to subscribe and follow and pay. So the more you can just provide value, the more successful you'll be. And that's what I keep finding. Well, I think another thing in that is the type of people that you're writing to. So you're looking at a lot of that qualitative feedback was from people that you really respected, you know, whether it's industry peers or, or others. And I find that when I'm writing to someone who's one of my peers, the quality of my writing is so much better. Even if I, if I have this in mind of like, okay, this didn't happen, but let's say this person asked me for advice on how to get your startup to your first 5 million ARR, you know, then if I write to them, it's just better writing. Mm. And, and then I think like reading a lot of your early stuff and, and even the way that you write today, I get that feeling from it of like, oh, this feels like it's written to Lenny's peers and his friends rather than from the place on high where Lenny, the, you know, <laughs> the startup expert is writing to the masses because it, it just, it comes through and you're writing in a different way. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from, I don't know if insecurity is the right word, but I just, <laughs> I don't feel like I have the answers and I'm not the smartest, most successful person. And so my lens is how do I just give you unarguably correct advice that either comes from successful, smart people or a bunch of analysis over what's worked or, or something like that. So, so the lens I use isn't, I know a lot of people and I like your framework of just like pick a person a specific person in mind and write to them. I, I use it more of like a broad uh, lens of if I'm like a founder reading this, is this like actually useful to me or is this just like a bunch of fluffy stuff that sounds nice that I can, I'm going to just forget immediately. And so I always come back to is this concretely actionably valuable immediately to somebody. And if it's not, then I refine it further and cut out stuff that's not actually useful. Yeah, that makes sense. What were some of those things that worked really early on that you were talking about to, to get the initial growth? So, so I started, I started with zero as everyone starts with. And what I, the way I first launched the newsletter was actually on Twitter and kind of like, it kind of created this interesting back and forth between Medium and Twitter and Substack. So I wrote that first piece on Medium and it got like featured by Medium. The, it was about Airbnb, what I learned at Airbnb. The, the CEO of Airbnb sent it out to the entire company mm-hmm. and it got into this collection. So it just got a ton of views and that led to f- some Twitter following. Somehow they kind of found me on Twitter. And then as I was Did writing- Did you have Christian, much of a Twitter following? Not really. I had, I had like a few thousand followers, something like that, which is yeah, not, what not you nothing. From being on Twitter for years and- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like, Doing yeah, things yeah, in the through osmosis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, some people have less than a thousand, so that's a different place to start. But, and I'll also add, I've never like focused on Twitter followers. I was just like, how do I share valuable things with people? Cause I just want to get it out of my head. And so, so I was, I was, as I was writing these medium posts, I was also tweeting little nuggets of things that either were in that post or just couldn't make it into a whole post. So I started just kind of doing both things, tweeting and medium posting. And that built up the Twitter audience just because some of the stuff was proved to be really valuable. And then when I launched the Substack, I basically just tweeted out, hey, I'm launching a Substack newsletter. You should subscribe. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but, but don't miss it. 
And so that got me to my first few hundred subscribers, just like tweeting about it. And I had maybe like 10,000 followers at that point, something like that. And then, and then I did a couple guest posts, one on uh, Andrew Chen's blog and one on the first round review. And that to tweet Twitter plus those two got me to the first thousand essentially. Plus in that time, maybe like 20 actual posts that were valuable enough for people. Right. Yeah. Is guest posting something that you would recommend for someone? I'd say, yeah, I'd say initially when it's early for sure. Cause if you think about just marketing anything, you just want to go to where your audience is. And if you can write something that in a place, somebody already has that whole audience and show how awesome you are, they're going to come follow you wherever you are. So I find it, I found it to be super valuable, but you have to just pick the right blogs and newsletters and and do a great job. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, in the early days of my newsletter, maybe after I had probably 2000 subscribers, a thousand, 2000, somewhere in there, I started doing guest posting pretty heavily. And it's exactly what you said. Like some people think about guest posting as like, oh yeah, here's this thing that I wouldn't put on my blog, but sure, I'll try to see if you want to run it. It's not an effective strategy. Instead, if you're like, here's the best content that I wrote. Like I remember writing one, an article for Smashing Magazine, which is a web design and development. I know about that. My wife's been on that. Oh, nice. Yeah. She's a designer. Yep. Um, And I read them a lot. And so I wrote a a post on product launches that was 4,000 words long, all kinds of detail, everything, you know, I tried to put as many real numbers in there as possible and just try to be like, this is everything I've got, you know? And that post, I think got me, well, I had a great call to action for like sign up for a free email course at the end that I had, like here's a ton of great value. And then if you want even more like in the weeds, nerdy stuff, you know, here's even more. And that picked up like 2000 email subscribers from a single post, which at the time, you know, we're like, 50% growth, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. 2000 is uh, a lot. Yeah. But even if at that stage, if you're getting a hundred or, or 300, like that's totally worth it. Yeah. Similarly to the one I did with Andrew, I, I worked on it for like months. It was uh, 28 ways to grow supply in a marketplace. And I had like all these examples and, uh, and quotes and all these things. And I showed it to him because we got to know each other a little bit on Twitter. And he's just like, can I republish this on my blog? I'm like, uh, sh- well, can I also publish out of mine? It's like, let's do a 24-hour exclusive. And it was a really tough call because I was really proud of it. It was the best thing I'd written up to that point. But again, it, I think that's why it worked because yeah. it, was, it was high quality. The, the exclusive is interesting because it still gets out to your audience, but it leads over there. Um, yeah, with first round, they're not, they're not as into that. They don't want you to republish it any, at any point. But yeah, and they, I mean, they've got quite a content strategy and... Yeah, they're amazing. They give you an editor. Amazing. Yeah. So is guest posting something that you've continued to do or was that more for initial traction and then just focus on your own property? I've done that a couple of times. I did a couple more first round pieces actually now that I think about it, but it was more just it felt good. It wasn't, it didn't really do much honestly directly, but it, you know, all these things add up. But what I find now is that now that I have a meaningful audience, uh, I can promote other people through guest posts, which one, people come to me to try to do that, which is really right. funny. And then on the other hand, it saves me work because I get this amazing content from someone great uh, for a week because with a paid newsletter, I have to write every week forever. And mm-hmm. the more uh, amazing pieces of content I can create that I don't have to write myself, the better. 
oh, oh it's a balance obviously but what i try to do is yeah collect just like the best people in each field and have them write and a definitive answer on a topic that people are asking me about and so it's kind of flipped now which is kind of interesting when i think having the you, you've basically set the bar for the content and then you've said if anyone in the industry who's really experienced can meet that bar or exceed that bar, then I would love to have you. And then it's, exactly. it's not a like, Oh man, this article is not from Lenny this week. It's from some random person. It's instead like, Whoa, I can't believe Lenny got this person to come on and share this level of detail. Yeah. And here's a, a, a rule of thumb I'll share is if someone reaches out to me to try to do a guest post, that automatically means they're not going to do a guest post. I have to go reach out to them because I find that the people that I want to do the guest post are often the ones that aren't interested in, in doing one. <laughs> right. Have you ever had someone who reached out to you do a guest post that like met the bar for quality and, and was really good? Not yet. Okay. I'm sure it'll happen, but not yet. I wonder, so I'm just spitballing here. I wonder, like I'm saying, if I were to pitch you on a guest post, like if I was listening to this and heard like Lenny doesn't take outside pitches, if I were to be like, yes, but he hasn't seen my content, what I would do is I would pitch you with the entire article pre-written and I would say, okay, but you know, what about this? Do you think that would work? Oh, that would definitely work better because <laughs> I find that once I get started with someone, it's hard to just, if I find that it's not great, it's hard to be like, no, nah, never mind. So yeah, the more I can see where you're going to land, the more likely it is to work out. And what I find is often with even the most amazing people, there's a bunch of back and forth where I push them to make it more concrete and more actionable and, mm -hmm. and more tactical. So, so I, I love seeing the draft because then I can see how far it is from something that's going to be amazing. Right. And you can see immediately if, if this is an idea that's been played out and done plenty of times before, or if you're like, it's not good yet, but I bet if you change these five things, exactly, yeah, it could be. Really yeah, good. there you go. There's a there's a good trick. And so, I mean, we can carry that forward, right? If even someone who um, doesn't often take guest posts, I mean, it's it's basically it's similar to what you did with uh, Andrew. Of you didn't pitch him, but you said, "Hey, I'm working on this." I don't I don't know exactly what you said, but I'm working on this. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, right. Can you give me feedback? Can you give me ideas? Um, and then he's like, "Not only that." but can I run it on my, on my site? That's exactly right. And actually with first round, it was the same way. I had kind of the outline and a lot of the posts done and, and I showed it to them and, and that got them excited. Somebody who did this really well, um, and I feel bad that I'm spacing on his name right now, uh, but who runs Groove, uh, GrooveHQ.com. Um, they built a really, really popular blog on their journey going to 500K. Uh, now I'm trying to think, 500... I'm trying to think what the number is. Anyway, it's a lot of subscribers. Uh, no, sorry. It was on the, um, for their software product. Maybe they were trying to get to 5 million, 5 million ARR or something like that. They had some, it was probably 500 K of MRR is what the, the number they've targeting. Cause I remember looking up to it and being like convert, it wasn't at that level. And I was like, Oh, that would be cool to get there. You know? Um, and something that he did really well is have a content like a, sort of an advisor group where he basically reached out to a bunch of smart people and said, Hey, I'm going to write stuff on these topics. Would you mind if I sent you a draft of it from time to time for you to mm. look over if I think it's particularly relevant to you? Um, and I think that can work well because so he looped me in on that and I was like, yeah, you're writing great stuff. I'd love to see it before it's published and maybe share some tips or insights. Um, 
He had heat and shot, plenty of other people. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is when he would then publish the piece, he would email the same group and it was probably 20 people or something and say, Hey, thanks for your help on this. Here it is live. And then I'd see all those people tweeting about it and sharing about it because they had like a, an emotional, you know, or they had an investment in him and his success. That's actually something I forgot to mention that I uh, found really effective when I launched, yeah, when I launched the paid plan is I did exactly that with my launch announcement. I ran it by folks like Andrew Chen and, and, and a bunch of other people with a large Twitter following, like generally to get their feedback on how to frame the announcement because they were supporters along the way. And then also it led to them tweeting about it. And that helped a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's turn to, to paid. What made you choose a paid newsletter as the business model compared to, you know, many of the other ways that you could earn a living in, in startups or from a newsletter? First, I'll say that it, there's a lot of downsides to going paid that I didn't think about uh, until I went paid. One being, you're, like I said, you're stuck writing every week. Some people do it daily. I don't know how they do that. That blows my mind. Uh, but you're basically stuck doing it for, in theory, forever because people are paying you these annual plans. And I don't know how you stop unless you just shut it all down and just refund everybody their money, which is hard to do psychologically. Right. So, so that's one is you just kind of have to be ready to do this for a long time. You know, maybe if it's like a few years and then you just move on, that's probably fine, but you can't stop, you know, in a few months. So for me, it took nine months to get from starting the free newsletter to switching to paid. And a lot of that was building confidence that I could keep this up. And I had a topic every week that I could write about that I was excited about. So, so that's the reason that it's, uh, it's something to think about. The other is before I wrote every week and it was totally free to everyone. And then once I flip the switch, I'm doing the same amount of work, but almost all of it is now hidden behind a paywall. And I just feel really bad. Like, just like, man, I'm doing all this work and no one's going to see it. Because initially you have very few paying subscribers and it's just like, feels like it goes into a black hole. And you have to kind of get used to that of just like, uh, well, I'm getting paid. People are paying for it. That's the benefit. And that's the, that's the cost of, of writing this and doing all that work. So, but that like, I don't know, it's like, like, it feels like an obvious thing, but feel the feeling of it, it doesn't feel good, but it all, it all works out. Yeah. Digging in on that. How have you found, um, like your writing process and like that showing up really consistently and, and the pressure of needing to publish could feel like a hamster wheel. It could also be turned into a system. And so one, I'd, I'd love to hear any things that you've done to establish your process, to bring it from like hamster wheel to uh, reliable, you know, productive system or if that's even happened. Yeah, totally. And if we want, we can come back to the paid, the Let's launching of paid. Uh, so, so in terms of my process, very much the way I describe it is it feels like a boulder is always chasing me. And as soon as I'm done with one week, there's just like the next one's coming and I have to always plan ahead and it's a real thing. And it's it used to be stressful, but now that I've done it long enough, I've, I, it's again, kind of the confidence where I'm like, okay, I've done this for like a year and a half now. I'm not worried. I'm not going to find something great this week. But what I've done now is uh, I basically have three months of ideas mapped out. So I have, I have a coda doc where I have every topic kind of on its own page kind of mapped out for the next three months, roughly, just like the topic, the headline. And then for the more eminent posts, I've, I basically go in there and just flush out with bullet points initially, just like the things I want to say and thoughts that I have as I think about it. And then as it, and then for the next like month, I 
go deeper. That's kind of this like spectrum of depth for the next few months. The what's cool about the format that I happened upon is, is it's an advice column. And so that means people send me questions that they're tackling in real life. And so I have this large backlog of really great questions from founders and product managers and growth people. So, so I'm finding I'm never going to run out of things to write about at this point. And if I do, I could just go back and do better on things that I've already written about. So the topics don't seem to be a problem, but then actually delivering high quality stuff every week for sure is a challenge. What helps, one is just thinking a little bit ahead. So, so I'm trying to, I always try to be like a few weeks ahead of like done content, but I never actually get there. So it's usually like the next post is like 80% done a week ahead of time. And then the rest are like 20 to 10% done. And then the rest are just headlines. Um, and otherwise it's just making time to write. I, I block out my mornings. So I, I have no meetings until 3 p.m. That's my new nice. rule. And that helps a lot. And it's hard to do if you have a day job and that just always comes back to, no, you can't do this if you have a day job. I don't know how people have a newsletter that's good with a job. And that's the secret is I have time to do this stuff. And most people don't. Like, I don't know how you do a newsletter having running a company. <laughs> well, I mean, I do a lot of what you're talking about of like, yeah, this will totally be done for this week. And then you're like, wait, I send my newsletter every Tuesday. And uh, um, yeah, I don't know what's with Tuesdays, but it sounded good. Someone like, said it was the best day to send for open <laughs> rates. And now it's stuck. I, I think it's that I don't want to be in the Monday morning inbox. Um, and so that, but I don't also want to be a Friday end of the week. And so I'm like, Tuesday. Um, you, can, you guys must have data on which day of the week is the highest open rates. It's Tuesday. <laughs> uh, not so much definitive. Like it, it, it's not like wildly, you know, um, but, but Tuesdays are good. Inch out every, every percentage we can get. Yes, exactly. And that's, you know, we send a little over a billion emails a month. So we have a, a good amount of, a good amount of data. Right. We, you heard it here first, Tuesdays. Yeah, exactly. Um, so on, let's see, oh, w with the content coming out, that's something that I always run into. Like I was actually going to send a year in review post tomorrow. That's what I'm uh, doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not done, you know? And I was like, oh, it's end of the day Monday and that's not gonna happen between now and then. And so I have basically the same process that you do of like, this is what's coming and then here's the ideas um, and and tripped out from there. Um, something else that you mentioned that I thought, it's a really good point is that asking it's not well asking your audience questions and then asking them to submit you questions. So one is the generic, like, Hey, if you have any questions about these three topics, like ask away, or even if you said something like, Hey, I'm going to write about freemium, uh, freemium business models in a couple of weeks, like submit your stories or like you can solicit that kind of thing, especially once you get past maybe two or 3000 engaged subscribers, then you start to get a good number of um, things there. But then the other thing that I love is to ask, hey, what's your biggest frustration related to life as a product manager, uh, you know, running a freelance business, like whatever the topic is for your newsletter. Um, and that can get a lot of good things where, you know, people will come in and say like, you know, here's my frustration. And you're like, oh, let me tell you how to solve that. And that's the writing prompt that you were looking for to take an idea actually all the way through. Yeah, I think that I, I kind of made my newsletter like I leaned into that even more. And it's just like, this is purely an advice column, send me your questions, anything you're dealing with that, that stresses you out at the office or around product or growth or managing humans. 
And so it leads to a lot of really good questions because they're very, they always end up being very real, like stuff they're actually dealing with. And I wish I could answer them all, but it just piles up. And so I have to pick one. And the other thing I have to think about, because my newsletter has this broad spectrum of product management and growth and startup stuff and people management. People join me with different uh, hopes and dreams for what the newsletter is going to be. So I have to balance out all these different types of content every week. So it's a weekly newsletter. So I kind of have to do a nice balance. I can't have like three product posts in a row because then all the growth people are going to leave. And so that's something I have to think about. Yeah. Do you see, is that a fear that you have or is that, does that actually manifest in the numbers as well? It's hard to see in the numbers. I definitely find people unsubscribe, but they're just like, nah, not what I thought it was going to be. I'm out. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I don't know what the root cause is and it's all anecdotal, but I do. It just feels like that's probably what's happening is they're just like, I don't care about growth. Stop talking about growth. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you get both sides of it where someone comes in from the greatest article they've ever read on growth. They're like, oh man, this is all he ever talks about. It's incredible. And then another person comes in from the same side on product management or people management or whatever. And they each think that you talk about something. <laughs> different. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of something I've realized about this whole uh, newsletter game is that it's really important that you stick to what you enjoy and are curious about yourself and are interested in writing about versus what people want you to focus on and write about. Because coming back to your question about how to keep it up, I find that you're just not going to keep it up well if you're writing for what people want you to write versus like stuff you really actually are curious about and want to write about. So I try to do like a 80%. What do I actually care about this week? And I'm excited to write about with a 20% of like, mm, well, people care about it this week. And is this a topic that's top of mind for anyone? Because otherwise you just, you just like created a job for yourself. You don't like, and what, why did you even do that? Right. Yep. That's good. And especially because it gives you permission as your interests change over time. Right. For me, I started writing about designing iOS apps. Like that's all I cared about. And then it was like, what's the marketing and more general design. And I, I haven't designed an iOS app in seven, eight years. I don't know. <laughs> you wonder know? if those subscribers are still around. There, there are some of them, you know, and, but if it's around what you're interested in, then it's much easier to let go of those subscribers. Whereas if you're like, no, I have to keep everybody on the list, then you're going to, you're trying to force yourself to be interested in things that you're just not. Yeah. And it's just, you're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be good. People aren't going to be like, oh, this is, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. And so, so the key is just like, just write. Yeah. So coming back to your question of process, I I have this like list of what I'm going to write about over the next three months, but then I rearrange it constantly based on what I'm drawn to as much as I can. Uh, And that, that really helps. Otherwise you just, you just burn out. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Now let's talk writing, switching to a paid newsletter. Um, What are some numbers now, as far as how many subscribers you have on the free version and the paid version? So, so I'm going to share this publicly uh, in parallel. And so you can see the charts if you're curious by the time this probably comes out. Uh, So I have, so I have about 45,000 free subscribers around now. Uh, I have just over 3000 paid subscribers. And then I, I give a bunch of like comps to various groups. So it's larger than that in reality. And making about over six figures, uh, more, more than I made in my fancy tech job, which blows my mind. Like my entire goal from the beginning of this whole paid endeavor was uh, once I make more than I made at Airbnb, I'm done. I don't need uh-huh. anything more. I'm just going to stop uh, thinking about growth. I'm just going to write 
but it just keeps going on its own. I'm not doing anything. And it's pretty bonkers. Yeah. So what was, uh, I mean, first, that's incredible. Like, once you build that flywheel, it just it keeps working. Yeah, it's all, it's all word of mouth. I, lo- I love seeing that. What, when you made the switch to paid, did you have a number in mind of like, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm launching this paid version. We'll, you know, I don't know how confident you were going into it. I'm always the one like, this will probably never work, but here it goes anyway. Um, but I, I always have a number of like, okay, if I get a hundred people to pay for this, then it's working. You're, like, what was that first number for you? So I had like getting, getting a thousand subscribers, I'd say paid subscribers. Cause that roughly equated to about a hundred K after all the fees and, mm-hmm. and discounts and things like that. So, so initially it was a thousand, which is, I think it was Kevin Kelly who talked yeah. about thousand true fans and it was very real. It was like exactly when I get to a thousand subscribers, I was making a hundred K a year, which is very livable wage in San Francisco, you know, borderline San Francisco. <laughs> right. And so that was, that was the goal. Initially it was like, you know, 500 and then wow, a thousand, that'd be amazing. Cause if you do the math, it adds up pretty quickly with, with, um, the subscription newsletter. Right. Yeah. So what have you seen on free to paid conversion rates? Um, you know, anything in particular driving more paid subscribers? So, so if you do the math so of about 45,000 free and about 3000 paid, so it's less than 10%. Uh, convert, which is an interesting stat. Initially, it was like 2% when I first launched. So I had like 10,000 free subscribers when I went to paid, and and I had about 200 to 300 initially paid subscribers. Yeah. So it was a very low percentage initially, and then over time, it, it grows. Um, what, was, what was the other question? So, well, I guess digging in on that, did you put more content behind the paywall, um, or what, did it just take take time? What actually drove that conversion rate up? Because you're, you know, you're pushing the eight nine percent now. So the way the way I do it is I, I I send an email once a week. If you pay, you get it every week. If you don't pay, you get it once a month. And so that monthly email basically has to be really good because that's your your sell. And sometimes I do these like here's a peek at this week's paid post and gives them a glimpse of what they're missing. And then in the free post, I share here's the three things you missed. So essentially, it's that free posts converts people plus Twitter just kind of sharing what's going on in the paid land, but otherwise it's all hidden behind a paywall. Yeah. So it was about having more of those, more time for those. Here's what you missed. Here's the free post to kick in. It just comes back to just providing value to people and they either find out about it or they want to access it and then they end up subscribing and stick around or leaving. How did you think about pricing of what price point you set? And then how do you think about that changing over time or not? I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it. I don't know if my price is the right price at all. Uh, I experimented with various price points, but where I landed is advice I got is priced higher than you think you should. Everybody always wants to start at five bucks a month because that's the lowest you can go and no one ever thinks their stuff is worth it. So they're just like, oh, five bucks a month. That's, that's so much money already. So, so I looked at the leaderboard and if you think there's like these various categories of newsletters, there's news, there's entertainment, and then there's broadly just like analysis and make me smarter and better at what I do category. And those charged like 10 to 20 bucks a month. I just picked the middle and went with it. And initially when I launched, I did it. You had a disc, like there was a big discount. It was 10 bucks a month for a year. And then I 
increased or lowered the discount to it's 12 bucks a month or 120 a year. And then I went to the 15 bucks a month or 150 a year. And I still don't know if that's the right price. There's probably some curve someone could do for me that's like the ideal uh, place. Although I will say when I ran a deal, it's an interesting learning. I ran a holiday deal and that drove the most subscribers I've ever had in one day when I discounted it by 25%. So that's probably the right answers. Price a little higher and then discount it on occasion. Yeah, run a run a Black Friday or yeah, that's what it was. It was it was a Cyber Monday holiday newsletter deal. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. Are you thinking about bumping up to the twenty dollars a month or going up from there? You think it's at the right? That feels so expensive, and I have this interesting too much pressure. Yeah, and and I find that I have this interesting combination of people working at a tech company that can can expense it, and the price doesn't really matter. And then there's like a lot of product managers in like India that email me and students in India. That's like the most common source of emails that I get of just like, this is a crazy price for someone in my shoes. Is there any like alternative price for folks in India, for example? And I don't know how to deal with that because I don't want to devalue it, but it's also a crazy expensive price. So that's a struggle I have. I don't know how to solve that. That'd be interesting. Um, trying to think who said this or a bunch of people probably have but of being like full price or free and they always have that sort of methodology of like yeah i i think it was someone doing agency work honestly of like no there's no friends and family discount there's no there's nothing like that i like these are my rates except in the times where i think it would really benefit you or like i'm going to do this for free and then it's very clear that this is what i'm giving you and there's none of this like you're paying for it so you feel like you deserve things, but you're paying half of the list price or a quarter of it. And so I feel like you can't be demanding, you know, and there's sort of that weird demographic. And so you could say like, look, I do full price and then I do full scholarships under these criteria and I give out a hundred scholarships a month or 10 scholarships a month or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't do that, but that's an interesting strategy. I do <laughs> discounts of like various amounts uh-huh. and I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but yeah, I do. I ended up doing like a 50% discount for students. Uh, and, and then I just give occasional steep discounts for folks that just feel like they, they, yeah. they would value it highly and they just can't afford it. I do like the, the student's angle. Cause then it's just like, Hey, this is what it is. And people are paying for it. Right. The number of people who are saying like, Oh, this will totally change everything. Can you give it to me for free? And then, you know, they're not invested. Who knows if they're going to read it or whatever else. Yeah. Exactly. The other thing I've been trying to do really hard is to offer the content to folks that are just like can't afford it or don't even know it exists. I've been giving out a bunch of free subscriptions to like uh, women in product and like the black product managers group and uh, Latinx VC and things like that. And that's been really helpful. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And it, it spreads the, you know, grows the community and everything else as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, what you're looking to, what are you looking to now for growth as far as, is it just continually writing or um, do you have specific goals in mind and um, specific things as you look to, you know, to pass the 50,000 subscriber mark or go from there? I, I try really hard not to, I think I mentioned this, anytime I do anything that's not just create high quality content that creates value for people, it doesn't do much. So 90% of my thought is always, how do I write great stuff ongoing and sustainably? And it's really easy to do more work and find more work for myself, like create a podcast and write a book and create a course and all the things. 
And so I'm trying really hard to avoid as much of this as I can so that I can stay and create a, just a really good newsletter that's hard enough. But the thing, so a couple things have happened since I started it. One is uh, as I was launching the paid plan, I was like, man, 15 bucks a month is so much money to ask. What else can I offer people? And I suggested I was going to have a private community that you have access to as a paid member. And eventually I had to do it because I promised it. And that's proven to be the most amazing thing that I've done maybe this year <clears throat> beyond the newsletter because it's turned into this amazing place of um, peer support and help where people are just helping each other all day. There's about 2,500 people in there and just asking questions, answering questions. And I turned that into its own newsletter with the best conversations from the community each week. And so that ended up providing to a lot of people, that's the reason they subscribe. They don't care about the newsletter. They just want access to the community. And so that's proving to be really interesting and valuable. And I will say I'm working on a product management course next year. That's something I've decided to do to see where that goes. Well, I can see there being a lot of demand for that. And one thing that's interesting there is a lot of people talk about a newsletter or like a paid newsletter as the business model, right? Or you can choose to do courses or, or books or sponsorships or a paid newsletter and they're uh, separate things. And really, I mean, exactly what your point to is like, uh, they can, they can coexist just fine. You can do a paid newsletter and then do a course for this direction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Walk had this great post about how a lot of creators are, they have this one skew, which initially is the newsletter. And then over time you can add more SKUs like a course and I don't know, uh, a book or something like that. And so that makes sense, but it's, yeah, again, it's really easy to do more work and I'm trying really hard not to just add more work to my plate, but this course felt like just, it felt like the right thing to do next. And so I'm going to experiment with that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I'm, I'll just say I'm a huge fan of it because who I've seen, I've been doing that kind of thing for a long time of selling multiple products, multiple courses, and just seeing how one section of the audience really gravitates towards buying one thing. And another section is like, Oh, but we'll happily pay you in aggregate $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars for content on this specific area. And so being the, the multiple SKU creator, um, really let's your audience choose how they want to support you and, and what they want to learn from you. All right. I'm happy to hear this. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a great direction. Um, so let's talk platforms for a little bit. Obviously Substack is, or you started on medium, moved to Substack. Substack is growing like crazy. They're getting all kinds of press in, in New Yorker, um, New York times, et cetera. Um, I'd love your thoughts on just where the market is going you know, and we're, we're kind of back on this topic, but, um, so I guess where the market's going and, and then, um, what are the decisions for you on, you know, when to start on Substack versus con consider something like a MailChimp or a ghost or a convert kit. So what's interesting about Substack is I never would have been doing this with my life if not for something like a Substack right. existing, because I had no intention of ever one, charging for a newsletter, two, even doing like a regular newsletter. I just started with a few posts and the kind of the, the, the chemistry that Substack kind of discovered, I think, and, and went all in on was, let's just make it really easy to create a newsletter and a blog. And then eventually you could charge for it if you want. And so I just followed the, I, I feel like I was exactly their like store, user journey that they mapped out in their initial pitch of like, I just play around, sign up, create a Substack, view a few posts. Oh, it's going well. Okay, maybe I should 
bid on this, ah, maybe I should charge. And so, so I would never would have been doing this if not for a platform like that. But in the end, it's like not a complicated set of features. And so it, there's gonna be more and more competition uh, and as, as you all know. And so I don't know what's gonna happen there long-term. Uh, I will say the fees at scale are very painful. And, and so the bet is that they provide enough services and benefits and maybe customers that make it worth it. But, and for now I'm just super loyal to them and just mm -hmm. really enjoy the platform just because it allowed for me to live this life. Uh, so, so I'm happy. Yeah. I think from a, you know, both you and I working in product management and growth um, and all of that, it's fascinating to look at it from a case study of this is something that plenty of people have tried many times before. Right. Like, like newsletters. Yeah. yeah. And on ConvertKit, we've been working on it for in, in various forms and for a different market in for a long time. And I study it and I'm like, okay, what, what did they get right? And it really is that they just made it effortless to go from, I have this one post, this thing that I want to write about to like, oh, well, there's a place for it. Well, yeah, and of course you can subscribe. Whereas the industry for so long was, oh, you want to start a newsletter? Like, let's glue together 12 different things. Oh, you paid? Oh God, paid. Oh man. Okay. You got to, you got to set it up so much stuff, you know? Even uh, like that first step of like, you want to start a newsletter? Like I wasn't even in that mindset. I was just like, oh, that's a better place to do a blog because I can capture email addresses. So yeah. So they just made it like a trick almost. They're like, oh, okay, right. I see where and this it, could go. And it guided you into a six figure, figure business. So I think that's, I mean, that's something that's so important of like finding a place to start because none of this matters. Like people get so obsessed over platform or, you know, any of this, like what's the fees. On right. This? Exactly. And like, if you never get past a thousand subscribers, which a thousand subscribers is hard. Like that is a meaningful bar. You get to that point, you have momentum. Um, but if you never get past that, like the platform that you choose does not matter. Yeah. And so we're exactly, you know, as newsletter creators, we often obsess over the wrong decision to start. Whereas the correct decision is, am I going to do this every day for a year to see if I'm, if I like it? Yeah. And yeah, exactly. How do I, how do I figure that out as soon as possible and as easily as possible before I overthink all the different variables that come into play? And I totally agree. Like in the end, it just, again, comes to, is, can I create value for people consistently? And, and then do I enjoy it? That's, that's a really important piece because you're not going to, you're not going to last if you're not enjoying it enough, at yep. least, you know, writing is hard uh, also. So you're not going to be fully enjoying it. Yes. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So something that I want to talk about a little bit more is, this idea of keeping the newsletter simple. So being in the online marketing space for a long time, I've seen people scale a newsletter or a content business and they get to the point where it's a little, you know, maybe they're making 200,000 a year and they're like, I should hire an assistant. I should hire an editor. You know, you get some of that help. Um, and then it starts to go from there, right? Maybe they're 500,000 a year, maybe a million a year and they're starting to be a team. Um, I'd love your thoughts on that because that's a path that you could take. You could turn this into the definitive, like the definitive, forget newsletter, the definitive news source for hmm. product management. You know, this could be something um, in that way. What, what are you thinking about your approach and keeping it, keeping it simple? So I've, I've worked really hard for many years and I know what that's like. And I feel like I have this opportunity to create a pretty balanced lifestyle 
where I don't need to work 80 hours a week. And, and you quickly get there by just doing more and trying to add to it and accelerate it and build more. And so I'm trying really hard not to do that. And I feel like there's like, I could just do exactly this for a long time. And it, one, it feels like it will keep growing even if I do nothing. And I feel like I could make more just keeping it my own thing, not hiring anyone full-time, not trying to, you know, add more business units to it. Maybe it's wrong, but yeah, most of it comes from just like, I, I could easily become a workaholic again and do a lot more work. And I'm trying hard to avoid that as much as I can while delivering consistent value. Yeah. I think that's really important that you touched on of just a little bit of the, the actual take home of you can keep driving that top line revenue number, but this isn't uh, in this right now, a traditional startup, you're not trying to make it that. And so actually the, the profit is what really matters. And so if we fast forward and we're like, okay, this business is going to be at $3 million a year, X number of years from now. And it's going to have a, in order to hit that revenue number and provide that value for that many people, it's going to need a team of 10 people. It's going to, you know, it has all of these needs. And before you know it, you're managing payroll again and, you know, right, all this right. stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I think a lot of people get to that position chasing the growth and then look back and say like, oh man, I liked it when it was simple, when it was recurring revenue, serving a single audience in just showing up in a consistent way. Yeah, that's, that's my current philosophy. But I will say I'm, I'm I have like a designer I'm contracting with to like kind of level up the deal. I have a, a PM I work with that uh, like hourly where she helps curate this weekly newsletter. So there's a few folks that are helping out and there's a community events friend that's helping out run events and things like that. So I think what I'm trying to do is, yeah, just keep it really simple. Maybe that's the philosophy. Just keep it simple and you end up making more and being happier. And so far it's working out. We'll see where it all goes. Yeah. Um, I have a good friend, Josh Kaufman, who wrote the book, The Personal MBA, and he's done this really well of keep sticking to a really simple business. He's gotten to the point, he's always looked for channels where someone else is handling customer support. So like he likes to sell on Amazon, Audible, and um, stuff like that. So he's as the author, he's one step removed. And that's just one example of he's said, no, I, I want a simple business. Um, and he, you know, that doesn't mean you can't work with a lot of freelancers. Um, and have a team. He loves to employ editors because they make his writing so much better. And that's actually something that I'd recommend for anyone writing a newsletter where you want the content really good, having someone that you pay to go, yeah, I see where you're going with this. What is going on in this section? Like, <laughs> you know, rework that. Yeah, I, I need that. A lot better. I, I want that. If you have anyone you can recommend, that would be awesome. Um, but I will say there's like, I, maybe I'm just like, I don't, I'm not in the, like the ambitious phase of my life. I feel like it's totally cool to be super ambitious and try to make something huge also. And maybe there's a venture scale return somewhere in this space, uh, as a creator. And I think it's totally fine to try. I just, I think for me personally, I'm just, I'm happy just making a, a meaningful income and not trying to turn it into like a billion dollar enterprise. One other thing on that is wherever let's say at some point down the road, two years from now, three years from now, that in that list of the 50 startup ideas, right? Maybe one of them does start to stand out. 
and then you're like, I think I want to pursue this. Um, then you have this list of 30, 40, 100,000, maybe it's 200,000 people by then who you're like, you have your own audience and your own platform to launch to, as well as all of these connections. Super true. Yeah, it could always turn into something new and I could just, okay, newsletter is done. Moving on. Well, and you, you don't even have to necessarily give up the newsletter. Yeah, it's true. Um, if I can find a more efficient way of doing it every week and while running a company, maybe. Right. Um, what are some what are some interesting doors that have opened from writing the newsletter or opportunities that have come up or people that you've met that came about purely because you know, you're you're Twitter famous now in a certain circle? So, so speaking of Twitter, like there's this amazing superpower that gets unlocked once you have enough followers where any question you have you could just ask it and you get all these amazing answers from people that are just, you know, very curious to see what everyone else says and they share their insight. So, so I find that whenever I focus on a topic and I want to get a more complete picture of how people are thinking about it, I just ask the question on Twitter and it turns into this really amazing resource. So I try to leverage that more and more because I find it's, it's like helpful to everybody else also. It's not just, oh, here's a bunch of answers. I'm going to I'm going to take it all from you. It's like now this public thread of all these interesting uh, answers to a really interesting question. That's one amazing thing that I didn't see coming. And then two, I also angel invest and I find like 80% of founders are subscribed to the newsletter or have heard of it. And as, as we know in investing, it's, it, it's on the investor to get into great deals now because there's so many VCs and, and angels out there. And so the more you, people can see the value you can provide, the easier you, it is for you to get into the deal. And now they can see, oh, he's smart about these things. We should let him invest. And so it's been really helpful letting me get into really interesting startup deals. Yeah, that makes sense. On the note of Twitter, what are some of the things that have worked to specifically grow your Twitter following? It's exactly the same thing, just providing value for people. Anytime I think of something, either from a post that I've done or just that isn't enough for a post, uh, I just find a way to share it very succinctly on Twitter, like, you know, how to do performance reviews or, or even just like summarizing a post that's long into a Twitter thread. Uh, it's just always that just provide value to people and they'll follow you, they'll retweet it, they'll like it and all those things. And it just kind of builds on itself. That makes sense. And I mean, it just goes back to in everything that you're doing of there aren't, even though we work in growth and startups, there aren't really growth hacks in the same way. It's like, it's yeah. show up consistently. That's the hack. Show up consistently in high quality. You know? Yeah, consistent quality. Exactly. Just provide consistent value to people. Uh, I, I know for like Morning Brew, a referrals program worked really well. And there's like, you know, cases where something like that's not pure content helped significantly. But I find in the end, if your newsletter just isn't growing significantly, I would just think about how do I provide more value to the readers again and again and again. And it's not going to happen overnight. And that seems to work. Yeah. Okay, last question. I realized I was thinking about on the pricing side, you have this this split that you talked about between individuals paying for it and companies paying for it. And I think that's relatively new in the newsletter space of a company. Like a B2B know, newsletter. Yeah, exactly. And so if someone was starting out and they're trying to hone in on their topic and maybe there's an option for them to write something that could be expensed, um, how would you think about that? Do you think it's happening a lot? Is that important or... Does it matter? I I don't actually know what percentage of my newsletter is expensed. If I had to guess, it's like 20% expensive, something like that. And so 
that's not like uh, a game changer and it's hard to like if if you listen to my advice of stick to things you're interested in it's hard to like frankenstein on oh i'm also going to have this thing that just happens to be interesting for companies but but it's it's a helpful thing and and i've tried to do a little bit of proactive b2b kind of sales and it doesn't really do much i i find that it just i have to wait for people to come to me and ask for like bulk discounts for their company and that works well uh, i also find vcs are offering it as a perk to their portfolio companies occasionally but nice. all that just comes to me anytime i pitch them on it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> so but it's an interesting new trend and um, i don't know where it's going to go i don't know if it'll ever be like 50% of of my readers um but yeah if obviously if you can create value for a company they have more money and right. and so you'll have some some sales there yeah on that note it just made me think of advice i've given in the past on when people are trying to hone in on a topic and it's like, well, if you're trying to make money yourself through, through teaching, right, which a newsletter, of course, any of that, we're teaching in one form or another. So if you're trying to make money yourself, then teach a skill that makes money to people who have money. And so we're not talking about, um, you know, knitting to teenagers, right? We're talking about product management growth strategies to startup founders, PMs, companies who have money. And so it, it's probably not like, can this be expensed or not that you're thinking about? It's okay. Am I delivering value, a level of value that people can uh, earn a living with, you know, and, and it will level up their career. Yeah. Those are definitely the easiest newsletters to monetize. There's also just like help me make money directly. Like there's like Bitcoin newsletters and uh, there's one around like uh, distressed asset investing that does really well. But then there's also just like, if you looked at the Substack leaderboard, like the first two are all just news, like politics analysis, like a really unique perspective on politics. So you can definitely make money just through news and analysis and also just like entertainment, like the browser is this awesome newsletter where it's just five beautiful pieces of writing every day and nice. people pay for that. So there's a lot of different approaches. Do you have any newsletters beyond what you just mentioned that you particularly love? Uh, I always worry about answering this question because I have so many newsletter friends now and I always worry they're going to get upset at me. <laughs> you single somebody out. <laughs> exactly. So how about I'm going to tweet my favorites and then go follow them. Go find me on Twitter and I'll tweet. That sounds good. Well, that's a good place to wrap up. So on that note, where should people follow you on Twitter and then subscribe to the newsletter? Lenny'sNewsletter.com, which just redirects to my Substack, and then just Lenny San, S-A-N, at, on Twitter. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining me. This was a really fun conversation and uh, we'll, have to, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. 